Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Germany is totally controlled by Russia. It's coming up! It's coming up! It's coming! Donald Trump's due in the UK today for the first time as US president. Meantime, the US embassy in Britain is currently worried about the safety of Americans during the visit. In fact, it's issued an alert warning people to be cautious as large anti-Trump protests are expected to be held in London. July has been an extraordinary month in Britain and America. You've had the fervour of England's progress in the World Cup, the President of America siding with Vladimir Putin over the FBI, Brexit has taken yet another left turn with the resignations of Johnson and Davis, and whilst Donald Trump had tea with the Queen, 100,000 Brits protested his very presence and flew a blimp over Parliament to mock him. As a special relationship gets less special, the Mid-Atlantic podcast sees the other side. I've been producing this podcast since 2013, with Mid-Atlantics trying to analyse the news from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other, and it's never been more needed than now. My regular co-hosts include Salon senior political reporter Amanda Marcart, journalist and writer Mick Wright from GQ, New Statesman and The Daily Telegraph, Oxford academic and best-selling author Chris Cotuna and emergency communications expert Doug Levy and Alice Thwaite, the founder and editor-in-chief of The Echo Chamber. In recent episodes, we have covered the threat or the promise of a second referendum on Brexit, the crumbling special relationship between the US and the UK, and how sporting success and failure play into national identity. And we've even looked at the gulf between Russia's politicians and her people. If you want to share my passion for Britain and my wonder of American politics and culture, why don't you go and download the Mid-Atlantic podcast today? Listener, before we start the show, may I implore you, wherever you may be on planet Earth, to go onto Apple iTunes or a podcatcher of your choice and to register a five star or whatever you think we deserve, but a review on said podcatcher, please. Yeah, well, five star would be nice, but we're not saying it absolutely has to be. But, But be positive. 
if you want, if you can. Uh, but seriously, though, because what it does do, it means that other people will get to hear about our show, The Things That Made England, if you put on a review. So please go onto a podcatcher. Before you even continue with this podcast, I implore you, hit pause, go onto Apple iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you use, write a review, then come back. It was the best of time. It was the worst. She was the people's princess. To fight on the beaches. Oh, hey, man. These are the things that made England. To fight on the landing ground. These are the things that made I England. I have a body, but of a weak and evil woman. These are the things that made England. And a king of England, too. These are the things that made England. Cry God for Harry! And these are the things that made England. England! And St. George! These are the things that made England. All right. And... I'm actually feeling quite tense now. <laughs> Stop it. What is that all about? You know, you click the button to record and suddenly it's as though, you know... Well, it's anticipation, hour. isn't it? Is it? And I th- I think, David, it's one of the reasons why you are the consummate podcaster that you are and I'm not because I'm too casual about these things. I and I don't, I don't get tense, which means I'm sloppy, whereas you're always on your metal. You're always on your game, aren't you? You think that's right? I think you're a far more professional podcast. I mean, if we're, we're going to have a sort of, you know, one of those Glee Club sessions, you know, you're a professional, <laughs> you are. Multiple well, podcasts, no. you know, shows, this, that, other. Yeah. D- David, you know. David, I bang out shows. You have a relationship with your listeners. There's a big oh, I think you have a relationship. With your... Anyway, we'll stop Glee Clubbing, but that's such a, that's such a tribe. I think it could be, I mean, there's something going on here, Royfield. I'm feeling, you know, maybe uh, the suit has got me particularly worried you know maybe there's something in there maybe i'm you know i'm feeling threatened well i tell you what david first off let's just introduce the show by me saying hello everybody and welcome to the things that made england the idea of this show is to decide on what things make england what she is the country that despite it all we feel lucky to be part of every week one of us will pitch an idea to the other to be designated as one of the things that makes england distinctive no one is supposing, by the way, that all or indeed any of these things are only specific to England, because that would be somewhat of a tall order, but simply that they are an important aspect as to why England is the way that she is. Every two weeks, we'll come back to you, the listener, to vote and to decide on each idea and whether it's deemed worthy to be described as one of the things that made England or not. So, who are we? So I am Royfield Brown from 10 American Presidents, Dumpty Dum, Mid-Atlantic and some other stuff. Um, and you are, David? Uh, my name is David um, and I am. I do the History of England podcast. Also, Royfield, I can tell you, I can give you an mm. exclusive, which is not exclusive, that I am also doing a podcast called History and Technicolor, which is all about film. And also, I'm doing this thing with some bloke from Brum called Things That Made England or something. Considering that you teamed up with me first, I kind of feel a bit... It's like a bit hurt. Yeah. I obviously wasn't man enough for you, and you had to go and find well, a, another podcasting friend. I wasn't going to say that. Mm, well, I just vocalised what was in everybody's mind. Now, David, I'm going to hit you with a quote. Go on, then. All right. Now, the Uruguayan president, do you know him? Uh, he was around for tea the other day. It wouldn't surprise me if he, if he was, actually. Right, because no, he I, is no definitely president is. Jose Magica, and I've okay. probably butchered his surname. Probably. But he's famous 
for uh, being a dress down type of guy. And he donates half of his presidential wage to charitable causes. He's known as being uh, the poorest president in the world. And he's very much a populist. He's a man of the people. Uruguay has legalized smoking of marijuana. Um, Uruguay is a hip and cool place and they did very well in the World Cup. Now, this is what he said in the last in the last year. We have to dress like English gentlemen. That's the suit that industrialization imposed on the world. You know, he went on to say even the Japanese had to abandon their kimonos yeah. to have prestige in the world. That is, yeah, that's right. I have to say all the pictures I'm looking at for this chap, he hasn't he's got at least a jacket on. Mm. But he's a scruffy bugger though. He is quite he? a bit of a buffy scrugger, yeah. Now, in clothing, the suit is a set of garments made from the same cloth. Usually consisting of at least a jacket and a pair of trousers and david this is a powerful expression of victorial cultural dominance in the world of men's fashion david you can't find a better example of how the english have told the world how to dress <laughs> now suits oh god what, were you going to say something i was going to say but it's slightly scandalous isn't it that um the worst dressed nation in the world should be uh, telling the rest of the world how to dress uh, that's somewhat of an old-fashioned view is it? what you've got there, David. Yeah, absolutely old-fashioned. And I would actually say, considering I've spent a lot of time there, that the US and Canada would vie for that honour. Is that right? Yeah, there is a casualness in, in a way of dressing, and people don't know really how to gear up and how to gear down, which is something that there is definitely a north-south divide on in England. Whereas people in the north very much have, I'm slobbing about in this during the day. These are my work clothes. I'm going out on, on a Friday or Saturday night and they dress up in a way that people in the south don't quite dress up. They dress they dress well, but it's not the same ritual of ironing your pair of trousers, ironing a shirt or a woman, um, you know, doing the same thing for, for a dress and whatever. Um, so... But anyway, I'm going off on so one, what, and that probably won't even make the edit. So, but go so on. So what you're saying is that you're going to propose that a suit mm. should be one of the things that made England. Is that right? Absolutely, and I'm coming on to it because I just went off on on a on one of my little uh, tangents. Well, before there, you but, do, can I just ask you a question? I'll ahead. ask you a question, then you can, we can see whether you get the right answer. So you're you're quite dapper, aren't you? I've seen pictures of you. We've never. I do like a suit. I have more jackets than most right. people. Because your you know, your profile picture is of you wearing a suit and a and a chunky tie. So how many vents mm. do you have on your jacket, your suit jacket? Ah. David, I, I can mix it up. I can absolutely mix All it right. up. If I'm going for a more Italian style, right. uh, i.e. 60s style, um uh, kind of mod suit, definitely only the right. one. Right, because you need it for that kind of tapered look. Well, I have to say there are two things I will say in response to that. One is mm-hmm. clearly I'm in the wrong place because you know your knowledge of suits in one sentence uh, you've just you know outdone me. So I'm slightly scared about the rest of the uh, conversation. <laughs> Secondly, I'm going no, to quote somebody to you who said double uh, vent is social death. Think no, 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 it's not. It's not. According and... to Bill Nighy, who is you know. I mean, what greater authority could you have in the world of suits? According to Bill Nighy, double vent is social death. As I said, right, if you're going for a slightly looser two-button, 
I think you can get away with it. And you definitely can with a double-breasted, though a double-breasted suit is kind of gone slightly the way of the dodo. But I've got a certain penchant for a double-breasted mm. suit. But suits, lounge suits, morning suits, business suits, black tie, all originated in London, starting in the Regency period with one bow. Okay. And they are the most common style of suit across the globe, David. So when you look at Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, or President Xi of China, you know what you're looking at? Cultural appropriation. They're all wearing clothes derived from that late 18th century mode of dressing in London. Gentlemen, observe. Here we see your boringly commonplace fop. As far as I can see, George, he ain't much to look at. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like a peacock. Vanity, his weakness for all the world to see. But the dandy stands feet square, one foot slight in advance of the other. Bent at the knees, but not too much. Back, lengthening, broadening. Head up, chin out. Look straight ahead and forward. Gentlemen, I give you the dandy. From this day on, we shall be the body dandiacal. You should go into politics, George. Politics, sir, dresses self-interest up to look well in the public good, whilst I merely dress myself up to look good in public. <laughs> when I am king, George, you should be the prime minister of fashion. And he'll bankrupt the whole country. <laughs> <laughs> the dandy is a portrait of studied carelessness, but without the appearance of study. The dandy style, less is more. No wigs, no powder, we don't use scent. The dandy wears trousers. The dandy, ooh, washes. The dandy is clean, the dandy is neat. The dandy does what he wants, when he wants, where he wants. And and just to go back to our Uruguayan president, if you think of Japan, which in lots of ways is similar geopolitically to to England, to Britain. It's an island off of a continent who's been able to not, you know, not get invaded for X amount of years. So they kept their kind of cultural traditions kind of intact. And with all of their tradition to do with Shinto and veneration of the emperor, they made a conscious decision in the early 20th century to get rid of their courtly dress and to dress in morning suits because they saw it as being modern. So even in you know societies that were very different from ours, there's something about modernism and being part of the world of which the suit actually uh, represents. Yeah. Okay, so Beau Rummel, what are his dates? It's approximately 1780 yeah. to... 1840. Okay, so I'm going to argue that actually this is essentially one of the many uh, gifts that the French Revolution has given us. That Louis XVI beheaded in Paris in response, in, in symbol of what they were doing, court the court dress that had dominated European culture for centuries, in especially in, of course, you know, the French court, which was the uh, most glorious court in Europe, was consciously abandoned. abandoned. So the idea was that it was the French, actually, the French Revolution, who invented this idea that we should get rid of court dress and we should dress much more uh, in a much more relaxed style. 
I also think the word soup that is French. Uh, I know huh? that. So it means to comes from the old French suite, meaning attendance or the act of following, as uh, it were. So therefore, yes. court attendance and so on. So. All right. And obviously, a lot of our courtly manners were derived from the French. And I think you are absolutely onto something. But what Beau Brummel actually does in the English court, actually before the French Revolution, or let's say before the effects of the French Revolution would have would have hit um, the UK court, was he starts to simplify dress. So if you looked at late 18th century men's fashion, it was the coat, the waistcoat, breeches, stockings or white socks, large cuffs. And yes, you're definitely onto something that there is part of this kind of revolutionary um, fervour, which is a, is a way of getting rid of all these bits of finery. But the English pick up the ball and run with that in the shape of Beau Brummel, who when he was at Eton and Oxford got rid of wearing stockings. He was the first person to wear trousers. And that is nothing to do with the French Revolution at all. So he takes this idea of a simpler, more elegant way of dressing, but he actually does it. And then through our cultural dominance of the next 100 plus years, people around the world ape this very English um, way of a gentleman to dress. So whether it's bow ties, top hats, waistcoats, double-breasted jackets, which is a bit of a military dress echo, two-button jackets, Oxford baggies, tapered legs. Well, with the tapered legs, maybe we can thank our Italian friends for those. They're all English. You know, winds right. are knots with ties. All yeah. of these ornate ways of tying a tie are all absolutely english not to be honest so, you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go go with you even uh you know even if it was invented by the french or the idea of being more uh, more relaxed in, in dress was by the french we've kind of made it our own haven't we um well absolutely so, so this is and is this a good thing a bad thing or just a thing i think well i Dude. love a suit david yeah. i have well i've kind of hinted at it before um i maybe have Seriously, you've got 50 suits. suits. Are they they targeted at particular occasions? uh, No, no. I absolutely believe in wearing whatever you want, whenever you want. Right. The reason, one of the reasons why the suit has been such a staple is because it's actually so flexible. So you can dress a suit up, you can dress it down. You can have uh, a handkerchief if you want to be a bit of a fop. You can have turnovers and a wider leg if you want to ape some kind of Jeeves and Worcester figure in in the 1930s. You can wear a waistcoat or a waistcoat and and have... um, Become an England football uh, manager. Well, even that is a thing. Even that is a thing. And it's purely by accident that we're, again, we're talking about something which is kind of in, in, in the news. But actually, I was thinking of a pocket watch, right? You can dress like an, uh, like an old stylish man in a suit, or you can look incredibly young, hip, and of the moment, 2018, by just wearing a waistcoat. And that is true. Do you think it's the same trousers? the world over? I mean, do you think another. You know, in other countries, they're saying, you know, they're having the same signals. So a double-breasted suit, clearly, if I see somebody in a double-breasted suit, I know they're going to sell me something. And if they manage it, it's not going to work. Okay, I just, you know, <laughs> that's kind of what I know. 
So if that in America, is that the same in France? If you meet somebody in a double-breasted coat, do you, you know, do you duck behind the uh, the hedge? No, and I think this is one of the again one of the beauties of the suit that there aren't that many elements to it, but there's just about enough for there to be localization. So we kind of touched on the fact that it's it's almost easier to think of the areas of the world where let's deal with these first the areas of the world where the suit isn't something right. for business and political okay. attire, right? Isn't so, and it shows you its right. dominance. So the Middle East, yes, true, true, true. In, in I mean, you get a bit of it actually, but yeah, no, I got yeah. you. Yeah. So in somewhere like Syria, yep. which is much more secular, um, President Assad right. wears an English suit. Whereas the king yeah. or the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, um, he's rocking traditional Arab dress and all are the royal families and the businessmen who are doing business around the Gulf and the Emirates. Now, in somewhere like Iran, it's slight, slightly confused in that you will get some politicians that will wear an English suit, but then they wear it with a, mm. with a high white collar. And then sometimes it's kind of like a Nehru uh uh, suit as well so um you have and that kind of goes for iran afghanistan pakistan and india now when you when you discount those countries just about everybody else is wearing an english suit but then there are local peculiarities so what the americans were very good at doing is more more like the sports jacket so it's a it's the jacket and then with a contrasting mm. A pair of trousers or pants as they would call it and then you'll get uh, somewhere in texas where or in the deep south where lots of people wear that combination or even a suit yeah. but with a big hat the cowboy hat um and then you'll get somebody like kevin fargy who is oh. the head of marvel entertainment who's wearing suits all the time but with a baseball yeah. cap something you, which would get presumably he's been refused a visa okay <laughs> so you can localize in places like traditional conservative bits of germany sometimes people do wear jaunty kind of alpine traditional southern german hats w with a suit but that is seen as um traditional and a little bit of fun you know you wouldn't go into a business meeting kind of dress like that but italians are, um, yeah, have their slightly own flavour. Shiny, to is that the Italian look? Suit, you know, or am I? Am I? What's the word? Am I uh, over rationalising, over simplifying? No, 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 no. I, I don't think you are. And then in different uh, cultures, like say, let's say Puerto Rico, they're much more daring with their colours. So that they might have like red suits and and things which you just say, hmm, that's that's just a little bit too shouty for our tastes. And there are so many subtleties to do with stitching, overstitching, the amount of buttons on on cuffs. But localization is actually rife with with a suit, and and that's the reason why it has been so successful for the past two hundred and plus years, um, because we could give the suit to the world. And they can just put their own very subtle twists on it, but we still recognise it for what it is. The derivation of Beau Brummel in the Regency period. Okay, very good. So, uh, and what do you think the world ought to do, do about it? So Gandhi obviously famously uh, refused to wear a suit for the very reason that uh, that you've uh, indicated that Uruguayan president probably is not wearing a suit because he didn't want to be, you know, um, shoved in dance to the... Uh, 
uh, imperialist tune. So what would you do? Would mm-hmm. you, if you, let's say you were, you know, coming from some other part of the world, what would you do? Would you, if you're coming from Japan, would you be protesting against the suit? Maybe I would be if I was in the court of Emperor Hirohito around about 19, 1930. Right. I'm utterly enthralled to the thing, David. I think it is a thing of ageless beauty that can keep on reinventing itself, whether it's now with the quite tapered leg, so it looks very modish and your body is the silhouette that the whole thing hangs on. Or, and I still have my grandfather's old um, double-breasted suits because my whole family knew that I was a lover of suits. So when he passed on, I was given two of his old old suits, which can never right. fit me, and aren't particularly, um, he died in 2000, and aren't particularly, um, even then they were somewhat old-fashioned. But they're just beautifully right. well-made things that, you know, you could go into battle with and come out unscathed. Is that right? That you sounds know? very so, I, I so 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 I love so I love these things and wh- wherever I am on planet Earth, I I really do believe in trying to find the local twist in that that country's kind of culture and style, and, and you do get it. You know, as I said, in the Caribbean, suits are lighter in in weight for very obvious reasons, but also more varied colours. And then you go to Northern Europe and the, the colours are a little bit more sombre. You go to Italy and the construction is a little bit different. Um, there's less padding on the shoulders, et cetera, et cetera. But just before we, we, we wrap up, right, so Beau Brummel, because this is really uh, the start of men's fashion in the English-speaking world. So Beau, yeah. a, a, a quote from Beau Brummel, fashions come and go, bad taste is timeless. Hey, Starch makes the gentleman, etiquette the lady. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know, mean? but it's great. Starch though, makes the gentleman, it? etiquette makes the lady. Excuse me, Bo. How again? <laughs> what does that mean? But even that, Bo, bow tie. Oh, is that is that where it comes from? Because he was he was he was tying knots with cravats. So just to be precise, just just to end up, exceptionally well fitted um, suits of fundamentally what he gave us up until that point men wore things that just kind of barely fitted them he said no i think that's a little bit harsh actually i mean some of the um some of the uh, some of the 18th century clothing was you know a work of art those fantastic jackets with the long uh, the long backs and the uh, the barely fitting you know in but, the middle but, but, but what he but what he brought in though but what he brought in was an elegance. I mean, it's easier. What yeah. he brought in is easier, isn't it? I mean, you know, the suit, the triumph of the suit is that you can just, don't have to think, you're just banging on in the morning and it might look like an old dishcloth. I'm sure you would never look like an old dishcloth, but I frequently look like an old dishcloth. I mean, that's the triumph of the suit for me. I do not have to think. It goes on. I'm in the train. in its simplicity. Whereas, you're right, in the 18th century, 17th century, it's all about fine embroidery and detail. And he kind of gets away from the detail and says, look how this thing is cut. That's where the beauty is. Look at your body shape and have something which um, is going to complement that. I did once, actually, I have to say, on that point, I once in my life when I was young, free and single and uh, with a reasonable Mm -hmm. disposable income, I went and got myself a tailored suit, Ooh. Royfield. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I got myself a tailored suit. Moss Bros. And, uh, and it had a little card. Uh, no, it wasn't Moss Bros. Actually, it was some, you know, bona fide, honest to goodness, no poo. Actually, it might have been. Anyway, 
uh, Taylor. Anyway, so he uh, he sized me up a little card uh, with him where he was marking down my measurements. You know, he was doing various things. I looked over his shoulder, um, and I saw a little diagram of uh, the male midriff, and under it was a little legend, and my legend said forward waist. What a nice <laughs> euphemism is that, that is for fat plastic. Isn't that lovely? So I've always, you know, thought of myself now as mm, forward waist, you know, forward waist. That, anyway, no, sorry, no, no, no. feel free to interrupt away because your uh, your anecdotes are always golden, sir. Forward waist. Anyway, I, I have a suspect, sorry, just why mm-hmm. I suspect also that, you know, look at the cut, elegance, simple elegance, all the rest of it. I have a feeling, Roy Field, that the simpler elegance is a little more obvious on you than it is with me. Trouble with the suit, and most clothes mm-hmm. actually, is you can't be... It looks better looking like you than it would with me. That's just the way of the world. Close no, horse. David. No, David. Right. I completely, utterly disagree. Well, I... That's good. So I could look good. It's just I've been no, buying no, the wrong suits for the last 40 years. chosen to not see clothes as actually being particularly important. That's what it is. And there's an attitude to wearing clothes. And some people look like they're fighting their clothes. You know, there's always, you know, whenever you go to a formal occasion, there's always two or three people that look like they've never been in a suit in all their lives. You know, they've been scrubbed up just for that one day. And and Absolutely. it's an attitude, right? Yes, there is a certain way of looking at clothes and yourself and putting things together. Yes, there is. But there's also just an attitude, a mental attitude of how you deport yourself while whilst wearing something. And and I would say, sir, that you're part of the English tradition of saying that this is all just a bit bit of nonsense and a bit of fet and uh clothes affect and clothes affect. You know. What's that? Feminine. Right. And Ah. And slight, slightly beneath you, so you've got weightier things to to worry about, like ale, right. and uh, you'd be rather talk about a good <laughs> pint than actually a well cut suit. So there true. you go. You're so true. You've come over to the light side <laughs> at last, Roy. On that, I'll give you a quote then from right. Hardy Amos: "A man should look as if he bought his clothes with intelligence, put them on with care, and then forgotten all about them." Yeah. Yeah, exactly, because I mean, you can't preen. You can't preen. You've got to look like it's effortless. Like just yeah. effortless. That's it. Yeah, I'm not good at effortless either. <laughs> right, I'm going to go for the ale. <laughs> Tell you another thing, which you've got to do effortlessly to be elegant, is actually to play a game that God invented, which is cricket. So, do you think we should like maybe nip over to our Luke and uh, find out about what people were saying about? the last episode on the socials. That would be very good. Let's hear what Luke's got to say. And let's hope there's not too much about baseball. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was about cricket. Anyway, <laughs> How was that? Blooming marvellous, in my opinion. I think my role here is supposed to be that of the disinterested observer, objectively collating the views and comments from our lovely band of brothers and sisters from the Facebook page. But not this time. Not when it comes to the magnificent sport of cricket. I had to barge Fiona out of the way, and like an over-eager wicketkeeper, I have flung myself in front of first slip to claim a partnership-breaking catch bellowing mine as I fly to claim the right to round up this latest episode from David and Royfield. 
If none of that made any sense to you, you'll be one of our lucky American listeners, for whom this episode has been a blessing from above. What better introduction to cricket than a bit of the things that make England? And a lot of our recent Facebook traffic seems to have revolved around explaining cricket. Ken posted a link to a Netflix video that Fiona had unearthed, which he thought had taught him something. This video, with contributions from Stephen Fry, national treasure and cricket lover, is a real gem, and I urge you to track it down on our Facebook page. I have to say that the traffic was not all going in one direction. Bill, Ben, Rob and Jacqueline taught me all about the seating arrangements at baseball games. And I think that we all agreed that a nerd is a nerd, wherever we might hail from, and we naturally seek out nerdy games like baseball and cricket. Steve managed to find some incredibly old videos of cricket. I think the oldest one was from 1897. Royfield posted a link to Fire in Babylon, a film about the great West Indies teams of the 70s and 80s, focusing on the Blackwash series of 1984, when the West Indies beat England 5-0, in what is often considered one of the greatest series of all time. David followed this up to ask about people's favourite series or match. A lot of people, like Richard and Hugh, went for just these West Indies tours. But for some, like Claire and Matthew, the unbridled joy of beating Australia means that it has to be 1981 or 2005. Holly, an American, suggested that we should have had football rather than cricket in the cabinet. She even called it football, not soccer for which we are eternally grateful. We got into a bit of a debate about whether people who are not English should be voting in the polls. I think the consensus is that everyone and anyone can vote and that the perspective from beyond these shores on what makes England can have an objectivity that us islanders lack. We had a number of Americans, like Michelle, who might not know much about cricket, but they do know that it is English. Honourable mention to both Tim and Alan for their nomination of putting the Daily Mail into the Cabinet as a despicable thing that has made England. And again, as Claire pointed out, you don't have to love something to recognise that it is fundamentally English. So I think the message is, vote early, vote often. Which of course brings us to the cricket scoreboard. Well, with a score of 67... The cricket episode was a bit like a Joe Root innings, with a good solid start, but not quite getting much beyond a half century. But it did fare well against the 11 votes for cricket maybe not even being a sport, or at least not an English one anymore. And there are eight of us who don't even care. Poor things. As ever, thanks to you all for contributing to some fascinating exchanges, and I hope you can rouse yourselves to debate the suit. I'm not sure I'll be able to. Well, and you've got to get your stories right as well. Getting your Gibson winning winning the World I know, Series. Yes. Well, look, I was desperate to think of anything. Why would we talk about bloody baseball? Um, uh, anyway, I, got, I was, wasn't far away, actually. You know, there was a famous bloke called Kurt Gibson who did hit a homer. 
um, which did win the game, just didn't happen to be the series. And I, that was in the finest tradition of Hollywood, what I was doing there, you know, just big, bigging up a bit. <laughs> you know? Talking about Hollywood, have you got another podcast you want to pimp? What, what do you mean? The uh, uh, History and Technicolor, maybe? The History and Technicolor. I thought I'd pimp that at the beginning, actually. Well, pimp again. So you might know, Roy Field, that I've just started a new podcast called History and Technicolor, which is all mm. about historical movies. Just started. It is, what is the word? It is hot. H-O-T. In conclusion, David, I think this is a bit of a slam dunk, <laughs> as always, from me. But Oh, God. I mean, it's pitiful, isn't it? You had to say that, didn't you? You had to say that. Yeah, what about the crowdsource fiasco? What about that? Hardly a fiasco. Now, I've seen what you've done. Oh, yes. With the whole cricket debate where you've actually split the negative vote. So you're not against, you know, shenanigans when it comes to polling yourself. Negative vote. That's an an outrageous decision. Actually, what you're referring to. There should be two options in, out. And actually what you've done, you've put one positive and two negatives just in case... The negative, uh, you know, the negative vote outstrips your positive. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. It's a foul accusation, and I rejected it. Also, it was about the flag of St well, George. Listener, I implore you to look at the Facebook page for the evidence. <laughs> um, but I, I use the expression "slam dunk" for our numerous transatlantic cousins. Indeed. Um, but I, it's just one of those things. The suit, yep, which is so ubiquitous, planet wide that it's literally lost all link and connotation to to these shores and and when you think that it's not only specifically british english it's london and it's the court and it's really one person it's 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 an it's an amazing kind of fashion staple which is which we have bequeathed to the world so on that note and that note alone you know i will not brook any argument Hmm. That it doesn't deserve to be in the cabinet. Okay, I am. I'm delighted to go with you, uh, to agree thoroughly with you that it ought to go in the cabinet of uh, of England. Cool. Let's hope that the uh, everybody on Facebook agrees. Well, if they don't, <laughs> I'll be blackballing <laughs> 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 membership <laughs> of the Facebook group. Is that right? The admin thing is going to get to the right. Okay. Cool. Gibson swings and a fly ball to deep right field. This is going to be a home run. Unbelievable. A home run for Gibson. And the Tigers have won the game 5-4. to four. I don't believe what I just saw. I don't believe what I just saw. One of the most remarkable finishes to any World Series game. A one-handed home run by Kirk Gibson. And the Dodgers have won it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.